This podcast is brought to you by Sage Hill, a social impact organization. Our mission is to help people be who they're made to be so that they can do what they're made to do. Find more resources to live fully, love deeply, and lead well at sagehillresources.com. Hey, everybody. Stephen James here at Sage Hill. Thank you so much for joining us for the Sage Hill podcast. I've got a guest on today, Kathy Lorzell, who is the co-founder of the Allender Center in Seattle, Washington, which is a part of the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, um, where I went to graduate school a long time ago, and it was called something else. And Kathy went to school there, too. And over the last decade or so, she has helped um, build the Allender Center with Dana Allender. Um, she is brilliant. She's so smart. Uh, I kind of get caught up in a in the conversation a little bit, a little bit, and forget that I'm the host of the podcast, and um, so I get kind of, I kind of lose myself halfway through. But uh, she's a really smart person, um, really insightful, uh, has a lot of knowledge about the human heart. Um, we talk specifically about the categories of, of being an orphan, um, being a stranger, and being a widow. Uh, being a, basically what, how loneliness impacts the human experience. She's written a book with Dan Allender called uh, Redeeming Heartache that's out now. It came out in September. Um, we referenced that in there. It's, it's a really good book. I've since gone back and read the book since we recorded the podcast, and uh, it's been really encouraging to me. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kathy and I. And if, you know, if there's anything that uh, you need, I um, want you to say chill is here to help. Hey, Kathy. Hi. Thank you for being on the Sage Hill podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. What a what a fun a fun thing to do today. <laughs> yeah. What what makes it fun? Oh, cuz I'm mean, a little I'm a little nervous. Are you nervous? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You know, I I love I love talking. I'm quite loquacious. Uh, I like talking to interesting people and and so this is just this is one of the the perks to to my job right now is getting to talk to people so I'm excited okay well um can you give us a little bit more color commentary around what the Allender Center is that you helped co-found and what's the work that y'all do in the world and why sure. that's important yeah so um you know Dan Allender has been doing this work for a long time for those of you who know Dan he's a psychologist and um, professor. He founded uh, the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology and has written a lot of books, including uh, The Wounded Heart and blah, blah, blah. But um, Dan has really worked hard in his career on, on understanding uh, sexual abuse and trauma and how that impacts our minds, our bodies, and our spirituality and our relationship to God, self, and others, right? And, um, but what, what he came up with is a way to use story to really understand where trauma has been embedded in our hearts and minds and, and how to actually go back to some of those core stories in order to receive healing. So, so much of our lives, we um, back away from the stories that are most harmful to us because it's painful mm. to go back. And, and really what, what he's coined and what we've come around him on is the idea that it is exactly through those stories that healing can occur and that our bodies are screaming 
to go back to the origin stories of our harm and our trauma. And that as we can honor those stories and go back, there's actually healing to be had. Um, and we found that over and over again. And so I started because I was a student of Dan's at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. I was a psychology student. And I found so much healing in my own story by doing work with him. And then I realized he's, he's pretty good at, at doing the work. He's not awesome at explaining <laughs> what he does. No, he's actually, he's, a, yeah, he's good at doing, great at doing the work. He's yeah. an incredible storyteller. Yes. Um, and he's a genius, like, uh, in making symbols that make sense of really complex things. Yes. Uh, but not actually getting ordering that, it. <laughs> ordering any of that is not his gift. No. Yeah. It's not. And so as a student, I started to get a glimpse of how to order it, really. And so I oh, was wow. able, yeah. So that's why I, I co-founded it with Dan, because I was able to take his his work and then say, okay, Dan, what you're doing here is this, this, and this. This is how we can break it apart. This is how we slow it down. And these are the concepts that, that you're teaching. And so the way that it started is that I um, in his class, I took as a first year at the school, I, I created a study guide on his material. Called, and we Gosh, called I would have loved to have you in my group. Oh my I know. I'm you, we, and, and so I created this matrix, which it is basically what the book is based off of. So Dan and I wrote this book called Redeeming Heartache. Um, it came out this, this in September and it's all based on the matrix. And so what I did was order and then put some depth and connect a lot of his concepts into a way that other people could take and then learn from. And, um, and so, so that's, I, so I, and I showed it to him. So we all got A's on the final after I designed this thing and, and they were like, what's going on? And then I showed it to him and he's like, I, is this what I teach? I'm like, oh yeah, this is, yeah. this is what you teach, but he didn't know it. <laughs> and then from then on, I started teaching um, a portion of his class every year. And then when I graduated, um, uh, we realized that there was something to this and that this methodology was important enough to concretize, to, to put some structure around and then bring it out into the world in a way that where other people could access it and learn from it. And we did that, you know, 11 years ago. And so and that, so the Allender Center is like, it's adjacent to the, the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology yes. and, and it, um, mostly you train therapists and other people helpers and like how to be better at what they do mm -hmm. through the Salenza story and through, yes. through, through your matrix. So this is where I have to insert some Keanu Reeves joke because right? you, you said the word matrix. Um, I know. And so there's the joke and everyone can laugh. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, bigger joke is that when I started teaching this, the matrix was like still a really cool, relevant film. And so <laughs> If that says anything about I've aged uh, out, but now a new matrix is coming out over Christmas. I'm very excited about it. Um, oh, really? Yes. I can't wait. I know. Us Gen okay. Xers are like first at the box office. You know? Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a good movie back in the day. My kids think it's hilarious. I think Counter Reeves is like every movie he's in. He, it must be a comedy or oh. some kind of like satirical thing because he's such a bad actor. No, I that, can't even. Uh, I love Keanu Reeves. I love that guy. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> I like, what's the, what's the bus one where they ride the bus around and, the, oh, and there's a speed. bomb? Speed. speed. With yeah. Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Sandra Bullock. Of course. Yes, I know. Love speed. I do too. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. So you do like really important work. 
That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you <laughs> you bring order out of chaos. Yeah. Uh, and you help. Okay, that's that's great. I need yeah. that. Um, uh, we were talking, kind of getting to know each other a little bit. Um, and I confess that we've actually never met, but it sounds like we we should meet. We sh- like we actually know so much around each other that uh, and we started talking before we started recording. And it's like I'm I, I started getting nervous because there's this person on the other the other end of this call, this video call, that uh, like I really want to impress because she's so smart and she's done really. It's like wow. I was asking you some questions and you were like explaining stuff to me. And it was really important. One of the things you brought up. Um, was orphan, stranger, and widow, right? Orphan, alien, widow, and alien, right? Um, as archetypes. So that's like, I've, I've started like at step D in the conversations. Now we're getting back up. And if you go, uh, what, what do you mean by that? And why are those frameworks important? Okay. Yeah. I want to understand what that, that means. I think archetypes are like super helpful ways for us to understand yeah. things, right? It's yeah, symbols. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I'm learning about myself you know, I've done thousands of hours of individual group therapy, marriage counseling. Like I have immersed myself in this personally, right? Mm-hmm. And then have done thousands upon thousands of hours of walking with people in that in, in that setting. And I'm just now learning this major thing in my life that I wish I'd have known 20 years ago, <laughs> which is uh, I'm not one of you, right? Mm-hmm. It's this massive thing in my life, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I start hearing like orphan, okay, I get that one. Stranger, all right. Like I, I identify with those wounds um, mm-hmm. and and how I've coped with my own heartache, you know, yeah. uh, and how I've also found a way to redeem and play in the world through, yeah. through that, through that. So um, that's where I want to end up, right? Okay. This middle point <laughs> is like those of that language, but can you help us get there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can try. <laughs> I, I wrote a book about it. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Let's see if and we I can figured if I just notes. if I just spit out some words like chaotically, you'll create something out of it that's more beautiful than what I could have created. So oh my gosh, the pressure. I'm gonna start sweating through my silk shirt now. <laughs> um I know this is such a uh okay. So yes, um well let, let me go back to even where we started. So so as soon as I said the word matrix, you thought of a story, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then we started talking about the, the Matrix, the movie, and then Speed. And immediately we are in a part of our lives. Like I could remember who I was when I first watched the Matrix, mm-hmm. right? I was in college and and then like Speed and, and watching that with friends in the college dorm room. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so as soon as you start talking about almost anything in your life, it transports you to story. We are storied beings. And, and part of how we make sense of our lives is through stories, is through movies and films and literature. And, and I think, the, you know, so you, you use the word archetype. And for those of you who are familiar with archetype, but for those of you who aren't, archetype is really um, the sense of, of a character that is a universal experience of the human condition. And archetypes are very helpful um, because they're, they're parts of who we are as human beings that, that most of us can relate to, to some degree or another. And so in scripture, so Jung, you know, psychologist, 
he is the one who did a lot of work around archetypes, right? And and it's so helpful yeah. because you you look at these different archetypes of the king, the warrior, um, magician, lover, the magician, yeah. lover, right? All these things, and and it starts to help us understand different parts of ourselves, and it gives us handholds to start to make sense of who we are in the world, what's happened to us. And how do we make sense of it? And I think that's really what what most I love of us that are you just trying had to this do. Freud, I'm going to interrupt you because I love yeah. that you just had this Freudian slip where it you is. said in scripture, young, like you. Oh, hysterical. <laughs> it makes me so well, happy, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, blasphemous. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. No, uh, you know, but I, so, well, what I was going to say is, is that scripture has archetypes, but, but so many people, um, like after scripture, before scripture, like we are, are we tell our story in myths. That's yeah. that's part of, and that's how we make sense of ourselves, and that's also how scripture has made sense of. And by myth, you don't mean like you and I know that word means like something that's more true. It's like this. Right. It's a, a myth is not something that's false. It's something that's actually more true than the facts, right? That's right. Like it's yeah. it's this thing that. Uh, um, like Luke Skywalker is a mythic figure, right? He represents right. all this stuff, right? In Star Wars, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I always bring the conversation back to Star Wars for me. Um, but but like George Washington is like a mythic figure in America, right? And he yes. chops down the cherry tree, you know, yeah. which is this Garden of Eden story, right? Yes. It's, it's like where he cannot tell a lie. He cuts down a tree, and his father finds him in the garden. It's like it's almost exactly like the garden of eden story right and yeah so we tell these well, mythic stories about people that sum up they're they're more true than absolutely than the truth. well yeah. and again they're universal and so it's like you know you can tell a specific biographical story about someone but if there's truth to it it's about you know your story but it's also about a, a lot of other stories as well which is why story yeah. is is so powerful because we all, you know, there, there's so many things that happen to us where we go, oh yeah, that happened to me too. Yeah. And then we understand ourselves better by hearing more stories and it helps us, uh, you know, not feel so alone. It's, it helps us um, orient, you know, our, ourselves and, and then also figure out how do we actually move towards healing, right? So fairy tales, myths, um, you know, stories. That, again, it's why, what, what did we all do during the pandemic? We binged Netflix and Amazon and Apple TV and all the things. Like, so uh, maybe you could connect on another conversation. Um, Tiger, Tiger Guy and Tiger Ted King. Lasso. Tiger <laughs> King and Ted Lasso. Oh man, I, I am there's a connect. There's a connection there. Those are both I, yes. like the same character. Oh, they, aren't they? And, and again, because they, they establish something of hope, they, they give us the sense of, of who we are, who we could be. They're and, both flawed. And, and yeah. So flawed. So, you know, so I, so if we go back, so let me, let me try to bring <laughs> us back to orphan, stranger, widow. Um, you know, so in scripture, there are three um, archetypes that scripture talks about a lot that are basically core wounds of who we are and what we experience in the world. And that's orphan, stranger, and widow. And in in the um, and often in scripture it's saying you know take care of the orphan stranger and the widow. You these know are the that, least of these. These are the, these are the people without any status. These are without right. any safety net, without any any way of being cared for in the old world. Yes. Yeah. And so what what Dan and I do in this book is basically say, 
you know, if these are the least of these in terms of, of like a cultural structure, they're also the least of these in our internal structure. Mm -hmm. and, and when we experience the fallen world, when we experience harm and heartache, which is unavoidable, um, we experience it, uh, you know, there are lots of ways to experience it, but what we've looked at are these three different ways that what we do. So the orphan has experienced lack of protection. We are all meant to be in this world and have and be protected. That's how we're built. We're built to come into the world being in, incredibly fragile. We, we need immediately, right? We're, we're one of the only species where when a newborn is born, they, they have almost zero capacity of taking care of themselves. Isn't that awesome? I mean, it, it is awesome. Like the, the thing that makes us so great as humans is that. Like, and, it, and it also makes us the most vulnerable. Yes. Oh. And so, yeah, right. Oh. It's, all, it's wonderfully and all. It's wonderfully awful and wonderful. Yes. yes. Awfully wonderful. So we are born in uh, incredibly vulnerable to harm yeah. and to lack of attunement, and and we need care. And so, an orphan, you know, you can be an actual orphan where you've actually lost your parents, but so many of us are are, are heart orphans where what we need from our caregivers was not available to us, either through their trauma or, or circumstances, but somehow we learned quickly that what we most needed was not going to be available to us, whether that's emotionally or physically, um, you know, and, and then you have to make decisions even at a young age. So if you look at research for, for orphans that were actually abandoned by their parents or their, you know, when, when they're in, in a facility, um, they don't cry for very long. Yeah. Like quickly, they learn that when no one comes, the crying isn't helpful and they stop. So even pre-verbally, we learn quickly that no one is coming. Mm. Or, that are oh go ahead yeah no no it's uh i'm just thinking like yeah i i i, I need to spend more time with you there's like there's so much on it so the the still face video experiment stuff from harvard immediately comes right. to mind right yep absolutely but also this like we're our very vulnerability like the paradox and we're made so much for attachment attunement relationship we're made for intimacy and relationship right. which means we have to be made like in desperate need of it from the very beginning like desperate need yeah uh, and that right. we're also made with the ability to shut it off in order yes. to survive exactly. god so so freaking <gasps> cool that's <laughs> so cool i know and Even when sad. you say that i'm like oh i know i can feel it in my body and i'm like oh yeah. it's so tender and 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 like you said you learn how to shut it off and so imagine you know let's say it's not quite so obvious as no one's coming in an orphanage. Let's say you have a mom who, like I struggle with postpartum depression and anxiety. So I wasn't nearly as like available and settled as my first son Liam needed. And so, you know, what happens with him as he's trying to attach, as he's trying to find a safe place, like I'm anxious, I'm worried, you know, and then he starts to, to cry more. And then now I have an anxious baby with an anxious mom, you know, 
again, like it doesn't. Y'all, take, y'all attach to anxiety. That's yeah. right. And it doesn't take bad parenting, right? I'm not a bad parent. It takes flawed human existence for us to learn that what we're created for, which we're created for Eden, we're created for perfect connection. Now we're left with a flawed human being who's taking care of us. And now we have to mitigate the gap. And how we deal with the gap is also then how we relate to the world for the rest of our lives. And so for an orphan, they're looking at the gap and quickly subconsciously, right? This isn't something that we're like, okay, I'm alone. So I'm going to figure out how to take care of myself. But that's the ultimate result is the orphan says, okay, no one's coming. So the only thing I can rely on is myself. Um, I can't trust, you know, care. I can't trust that care is coming. And so I'm going to be self-reliant. I'm going to be hypervigilant around where the next shoe is going to drop. And I am going to work hard to create control in my environment so that I don't have to feel the loss of care and protection. Yeah. Yeah. Some people even like build counseling centers so they don't have to feel the loss. Oh, some, some people, people <laughs> build nonprofits called the Alveners. Right? I mean, look. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like we can't help, uh, well, the, the loneliness, the shame, the fear, like the interplay, right, um, of, of what happens in the human heart uh, when, when we're orphaned. You mentioned postpartum depression, and I immediately start thinking, like, that's like the light end, right, mm-hmm. of disruptive attachment or something that doesn't happen. And then there's like addiction, which is, right. the, the, which is the true pandemic in our society is, is addiction yes. and all the children who are growing up or have grown up and will grow up in homes where like attunement or deep connection being known um, like they either survive by overfunctioning right, and becoming heroic or enabling or massively codependent or they survive by being yeah, I guess you're you know a stranger, right? They survived right. by by not existing. Um, yes. Uh, uh, okay, so I know you're probably going to get. I've not read the book. I uh, need to go back and I need to go read it now. <laughs> but I, are we going to talk about prophet, priest, and king at some point? Yeah. Well, let's let's shoot, let's <laughs> okay. let's go let's go back because I know. That, so my brain's like exploding now. With uh, things I know. And, yeah. And, uh, and I feel like you and I are even having like a coded conversation of like so many little conversations that need to be had. I along know. The way. <laughs> okay. So go back. I know. So orphan. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So talk about orphan. stranger. Yeah. So stranger for the stranger, the strangers are often the ones who feel um, the most in, in their bodies. So they're the empaths. They, they feel deeply. So if there's loss, loss, loss of connection for a stranger, they're going to be pissed and feel like um, that I was meant for something, you know, no one's coming through for me. And there's a sense of, I feel too much, I'm too dramatic. And they, they kind of get ousted outside of the city gates, either emotionally, or, you know, they actually end up leaving, like, these are the black sheep of the family. These are the ones who are often the truth tellers. Um, and they know something of like, they, they feel deeply, um, they, they sense something of the broken world and they are rendered powerless to fix it. Mm. So these are the folks who are the artists and the dreamers and the musicians, the ones who feel deeply, but are also like 
desperate to actually fix it. These are these are your um, you know people who are looking at justice and like they they see something of the world that's broken, and but they're also they have this power in them, this fire in them that wants to fix it. But they're mm. always pushing up against the fact that they're never able to do it. Saint Jude's in the world, like the patron saint of lost causes, right? Like that's yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's me. I mean, so I'm an orphan and a stranger. Yes. (laughs) Like I I have a sense I'm also going to be a widow. Yeah. I welcome. (laughs) I know it's tough. It's tough. The good news. Then the reason why we wrote the book, right? The good news is that when you start to identify that it's hard, but you can also feel something in your body settle because you're like, yes, this makes sense of my world. This makes sense of why I operate the way that I do. And, and that is the first step to healing is actually recognizing what has been true. And so often what we do is, is dissociate from, like we, we ignore these stories because uh, what we were taught is just keep going, build more, do more, you know, be higher functioning, be more successful, you know, read more, blah, blah, blah. And, and what we actually have to do is go back and understand the why and the what, like what yeah. happened to you and why are you operating out of these wounds? Because, you know, orphan, stranger, and widow are inevitable, but, you know, but we, we can also use them to continue to be successful and be able to ignore, you know, hey, about your life. we'll talk about widow in a second, but yeah. um, if you want to write a book that won't sell, oh, okay, because I wrote this book, uh, yeah. it's called Parenting with Heart, and it's about that um, you're going to harm your child. Your child yeah. is going to experience a broken world primarily through relationship with you. So quit trying to be the focus on the family parent that you lust after being there. You could be the, absolutely right and, and make sure your child doesn't have your experience, which is so narcissistic, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, engage your child who they are, and which means you've got to know who you are, right? You've right. got to know like, where, where you came from and what... Um, version of yourself you created that's, that's right. not really you right oh, and yeah. that you're uh if you want to sell a book write a book that doesn't sell write that <laughs> that, because... that's a wonderful book it it just needed a different title um <laughs> oh, we all do need gosh but that's one two three magic i'll call it one two three magic how about that oh, God. yeah and everyone <laughs> would write would read it and then be like oh i understand uh, like look i we have we've been saving money ever since our kids were born can't quite tell if it's going to be for college or therapy or both. Both, but, but the yeah, so college is adult preschool, right? That's what it. That's what it is. That's what it, it's a really expensive adult preschool. Yeah, it's necessary. Yeah, it's necessary for that. And um, like I've got four kids. Youngest are sixteen. Oldest is twenty to twenty-one oh. right now. Um, but the great news is two of them have self-selected into I want therapy which is awesome right yeah amazing Uh, so happy and I'm so grateful to pay for that yes oh Um, absolutely you know so save for both adult preschool and 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 their therapy so they can have therapy while they're in preschool and yeah and they can tell you um how you've harmed them which is the greatest gift your child will give you Absolutely. Well, and that's, so that's actually the third thing for, so if you're looking at attachment theory, the orphan needs attunement to heal, right? The orphan needs someone who says, I see your need and I'm here, right? 
Mm. Um, and that can yeah. even be internally. That can be you to yourself as well as seeking other relationships. Like, you know, when yeah. my orphan flares up, it's like, hey, I see you, understand, you're terrified. So, you know, what can we do to soothe some of your of your terror right now and your need, right? That's that's yeah. what the orphan needs. The stranger needs containment. The stranger needs to know that they can feel all the big feelings and see all the stuff and rage and cry and that someone is gonna hold that and create containment so they can't blow things up, but there's also room for them to feel it. Oh, right? I need both. Okay, we didn't define the widow. So let's talk about widow. So widow and yeah. the, is, is rupture and repair, which is what I, you know, which is- Okay. So widow is the sense of you've known something of safety, you've known something of love, um, you've no, you, you were kind of seduced into the idea that there could be like really good connection or, or goodness in the world. And then, and then you see it's death. And that can be like someone who was groomed at an early age, you know, to be daddy's favorite girl, little girl. And then all of a sudden, you know, when you were seven, he started to abuse you. Right. Yeah. So you're you're now in the sense of I, I and so what what a widow can't do is trust love and mm. trust that mutuality and connection is safe. Because they, they they actually gave their heart over and and now there was there was a death either through envy or abuse or marring of their of their gifting or or actual death. I mean, this happens a lot with with kids who um, had a. Uh, divorce in their backgrounds, right? There's a sense of mom and dad were fine at one point, even though they weren't. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm going between, you know, so, so kids, kids can experience mm. this all the time. You can experience a widow wound through, you know, creating a counseling center, creating, you know, a nonprofit, <laughs> yeah. being a church leader, right? You thought that you were creating something good on behalf of others. And then eventually it dies. It, nothing lasts, nothing stays pure no marriage stays in the honeymoon period. There's always a degree of loss, you know, and heartache around the corner. The widow is the one who says, hey, I realize that there's loss in the world, so I'm gonna isolate. I'm not gonna connect, I'll participate, but you will not gain access to my heart. Mm. You will not gain access to the parts of me that will feel the most vulnerable and feel the most exposed that actually open you up to a mutual connection of giving and receiving. Right, so the widow can give, yeah. you know, they, they can lead, they can run organizations, but but they're not going to receive, or they'll just receive and then not give, right? So it's the yeah. sense of the mutuality between the two feels too threatening, and they have to isolate in order to stay protected. So what the widow needs to know is that rupture and repair is possible, because it's not to say that well, rupture is inevitable. Rupture Rup is inevitable, right? But death repair, is inevitable. repair is possible. That's right. Death is inevitable. Every organization you create, every relationship that you're in will die to some degree of what it is in this moment. Every, and, and that is inevitable. And, but repair is also possible. Um, not repairing to go back to what was, but repair to its next iteration. And the widow has to then be able to turn her heart, his heart back and say, I will risk again. I'll risk love again and keep creating. Mm. Yeah, and sometimes that's, that's even. Uh, I think it's David White. Mm -hmm. Bless the space between us, or is that uh, is that David White? 
can't remember. It seems like it is. Maybe. Who's yeah. the other? Who's this Irish guy? The other poet. I don't know. Um, John. There's the, yeah. No, it's modern. I mean, there's like a thousand people listening to this right now screaming out the person's name, I, and I care. That's right. They can, right? They can put it in uh, their comments. But this idea of like, bless the space between us is yeah. sometimes even like living into um, the already not yet of, yeah. of repair, right? Like, it's like, I don't have it in me right now. Um, but I do trust that God's doing something outside of me um, yeah. in the space between me and this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. um, we all, our hearts are all wounded. Right. Right. Um, primarily in relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, our response to that is to move against ourselves, move against others, and even move against God, like to move into one or all in some way we inhabit all three of these postures. I identify mostly with orphan and prophet or orphan mm-hmm. and, and alien, right? Yeah. Um, uh, as you talk about widow, there's been some things in my um, uh, recent history that have, that have given me insight into that, um, mm-hmm. that wounding. Uh, it's also been some of the birth of my greatest like gentleness. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it's like, I've got like King and like artist down, you know, like go to war and sing a song, you know, like yeah. about it and like write a poem and, and, you know, I don't know, I can fight and I can party. And, uh, but this idea of, of, um, like tenderness and gentleness in the midst of, of the struggle, uh, that's a new gift I've received yeah. through this. Is that true about these, uh, like, because I'm seeing these, they're inevitable. I've chosen, like I chose my orphanness. Not that I had a much of a choice, but it, it was a choice, right? There was a, uh, I was responsible in it. I responded in it. Um, I chose my strangerness, the alienness, the outsiderness. Uh, not that the others, uh, that was the best of some bad options for me. Absolutely. Right? Well, and that's um, the orphan, widow, and stranger all our protective mechanisms. Yeah. So when we experience, you know, the betrayal or the loss, it's like we then have to decide how we're going to reorient to keep ourselves safe. And mm. so, you know, the stranger, it's like, you know, look, are you really going to stay in, in the environment that is that is abusing you? It's it's like good for you for getting out um, and 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 coming against and saying no. Now the question is, how do you heal those parts of yourself so that you can enter back into relationship in a more healthy way? So I think- So how do you do that? Yeah, so again, (laughs) attunement, containment, and rupture and repair are the key areas um, that all of those those things need, but you also have to then create an imagination for what you're actually called to do. And so, the, the orphan is actually called to be a priest. And, and when we talk about, so we talk about priest, prophet, and king, queen, which again are biblical categories and kind of stations of, of being in the world, right? Okay. But the priest's call is to tell the story of the people and give people space to grieve, to lament, to experience gratitude, and to experience safety and connection within the community. And so really an orphan has had to ignore the truth of their story because it's too painful. The priest allows the fullness of the story 
to be able to be told so that their name is given back to them, their history is given back to them. And oftentimes our, the truth of our story is so painful when we look at the whole thing, we, 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 we have to fragment. You know, we, we only take in bits and pieces. Some, some orphans will only take in the good parts of their story. Like, well, my mom, you know, yes, she was, so it's like you take in, you remember the Christmas where, where she came through. You remember, you know, the fact that she always bought you a toy when she would come back from trips. Like you remember pieces that help. You Sounds like a great mom. mom. Right. But you're not <laughs> remembering. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, that, that makes she so, was never there or that she was drunk or that she, yeah. You know, and so so the role of the priest, our internal priests, and also what, what we're meant to be priests for other people is to allow people space to tell the truth of the whole of their story so that they can actually mm. rest and heal, right? That's the role mm. of the priest. Um, and you can see, like, as an orphan is redeemed, there's such a gift to be able to lean into those priestly parts. Because once you realize that the truth of your story is actually the thing that will heal you, it will make you free, you know, then you can lean into rituals that, that um, allow you to go through hard spaces where your body can't handle it. And, you know, we're getting into the weeds a bit, but I, I love the priest category mostly because that's, that's not my strong suit, but I can see the need for it so deeply yeah. in, in my own heart and my body. And I'm trying to practice presence and capacity to kind of stay in um, uh, in, in the attunement that's needed in order to allow the, the orphan part of my heart, orphan part of other people's hearts to rest. Um, and, that's, and that's what priest is about. Now, you know, it doesn't take a lot to think about stranger as also being a prophet, right? So the stranger actually sees the truth and, and like their call is to be able to speak to it. Now, the issue with a prophet that isn't healed is that they will blow up the message along with the messenger um, if, if they don't understand their impact, if they can't regulate, right? Yeah. Um, if they're, if they're I, was, healed, I was journaling this morning on, like, I'm a strong prophet. Like, that's yeah. my first leaning, right? I've, uh -huh. I've, I've had to develop priestly gifts along the way, like practice, presence, and um, patience. And, um, but I was journaling this morning. It was like, what am I going to let go of so that I'm more contained like what am I like the king piece right like mm -hmm. um but like what like what god well, how do I rest how do I give up this fight like what's like not everything's a, I wrote myself not everything's a fight Stephen so, like, you know like and I'm yeah. trying to foster this uh in my head like there's so much war language in my head that's good sometimes mm -hmm. but it's also like I'm trying to create agrarian language like this mm -hmm. image that came to me this morning was about this orchard, you know, like how do you tend the orchard? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. uh, and it's like, God, that sounds so hard. Like the patience. So of, that's such a priestly calling, right? Like tending this orchard. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, that's why, you know, the, the, the concepts of prophet, priest, and king, you know, there are, there are always going to be things that we're more, we lend ourselves more to easily, you know, right. So like, I'm more of a queen, you're more of a prophet. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to grow the other parts of us to right. balance it out. And yeah. so I've had to really lean into my priest because that's what's been needed and in, within the organization, within my family. And so, but it means I have to slow down. I have to like lean into lament and grieving and ritual and, 
telling a story and telling the truth. And like, that's a harder spot for me. Like I want to keep moving and, and, you know, and keep creating and structure anyways. So, um, but it's important because, you know, your, your prophet needs a priest and it needs your internal priest. It also needs mm -hmm. priests around you. So that relationship with self. Yeah. That's right. But also relationship with other people. Like what priestly categories do you have in, in your life, in, in your organization that are coming alongside of you, helping you slow down, helping yeah. you tend to that orchard where that maybe isn't more of a natural calling for you? Oh, God. I came in St. Council a few weeks ago. And um, looking back, I was afraid and I was lonely, right? Like I'd been out of pocket for a few days. And I came in and I was like starting to create problems. And Sarah is our managing director who she runs all the day-to-day -day stuff and more <laughs> than that, like uh, social counseling. She goes, hey, there are no fires and we don't need you to start any. Can you just just be here? It's like, oh, oh, you know, mm -hmm. and we have another one of my uh, women I get to um supervise here she's she's always saying to me calm your body mm -hmm. it's like yeah. oh thank you thanks for priesting me that's good yes. like yes thank you yes. giving me some some containment or some oh good yes yes all of that like right and so it's I think it it also creates a different imagination for leading because yeah. oftentimes we look at like the the prophet um king queen categories as kind of the leaders like the ones out front and often yeah. we neglect that priestly role that is so drastically important for the health of our organizations and our families it's so much more collaborative right yeah. and they and how they move like that's yeah. what i've learned about my marriage is i'm more agentic like i have more agency heather's yeah. more collaborative right yes. um and so when we when we're in sync and like leaning into that with each other, it's awesome. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, when we're not, uh, um, <laughs> it's not some great. Friction. Yeah, yeah. Some friction. Like it's some friction. Uh, yeah. Some yeah. But her, yeah. like, I mean, she is the the leader in so many ways of our family, right? Mm -hmm. And this collaborative, and the thing I've craved more than anything is that kind of sense of belonging and togetherness, and you know. Clearly, uh, God knew what I needed more than I did, right? And, yeah. and what she's brought to me through that, um, you know, it's wonderful. And it takes so much work for me to trust that, right? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. The, that, uh, and you're talking about like, the, her widow one. I'm starting to see that. It's like, oh, my God. So how do I love her better? Let's turn this into yeah. a counseling session. Well, like, if that's right. her wound, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and she can attune with me and she can contain me. Like, how do I love her better? Yeah. Um, so, so the, so the widow um, has, has to be able to, to live out of their vulnerability. Okay. And so, so if you look at the redemption of the widow, really it's, it's the queen king category and, and the queen and the king isn't necessarily meant to just like lead from the, the top, right? They're no. meant to, to look at the present and see the work of the priest, the work of the, of the prophet, and create structures of care and justice that allow the work mm. of the people to take place. And, care and justice. Yes. And they're meant to set the table and host so that God can be present. Mm. 
So there's, and there's structure and there's containment and there's, there's presence to that. But it also, you have to make the hard decisions. You have to be able to, to do the yeses and the nos. And you have to be able to bear the weight of making some of those more difficult decisions so that the priest can do what the priest is meant to do. The prophet can do what the prophet is meant to do. But then you're having to bear a bit more of the weight of, of if the decision goes well or if it doesn't. Yeah. And that, and, yeah. Yep. Which could lead you back to that orphan stance, right? Like Absolutely. that sense of, yeah. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to wrap us up here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this has been an awesome conversation for me personally. So, so I've like taken notes about myself and um, I don't know if anybody else got anything from it. So <laughs> what, we, I mean, maybe I've been so engrossed in our conversation that I've taken my, uh, how do I steer the conversation for the imaginary right. listener away? Ah, um, who cares? I, 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 clearly, I clearly don't right now. <laughs> uh, but as I've become aware of that, what is it you would want people to know? Like in that, in all of this conversation, um, and let's say people go buy the book, right? Uh, redeeming heartache. But what, what is it you personally, what, what's on your heart? What's your passion that you want people to come away from our conversation with? It's a big question. I mean, it is a big question. You know, <laughs> I think that the first thing that came to me was just that there's hope. Hmm. There's hope. Um, but, but hope doesn't come from just wishing our pain or wishing, you know, that the world was different. It comes through doing the work yeah. of, of understanding yourself, understanding where you are most meant to, to bless what you're, what you're created for. But in order to know that you also need to understand where you were harmed and how you, and, and how to heal from that. Yeah, and how and, you dissociate and how you, that's right. Disconnect. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because you cannot fix the present without going back to the past. You just yeah. can't. And, you, and your future is foobar is messed up without right. that. Right. Yes. You just keep repeating the past and your future. If, yep. Um, you, you'll, you'll be in a loop for the rest of your life. And, and the way you get out of that loop with, if you don't do the story work, if you don't do your own work around, around your wounding, not only are you bound to repeat it, but the way you'll get out of it is through self-medicating, is through um, addiction, and 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 and, um, and victimization. You'll, you'll you'll either be an abuser or you'll end up being abused. Like you'll yeah you'll recreate that yeah right. And so and so I think what I see more than anything is that in this world right now, and I think this has always been true, but we can look at our world particularly right now. We need healers. We need people who are going to bring beauty and goodness. We're, we can't fix the world. We, we can't get ourselves out of a fallen world, but, but we can create enough beauty where we can soothe and find goodness and find the heart of God and the land of the living. And I think that's, that's the point. So, you know, it's not just so that you're happier. It's that you, you're meant to create beauty and even if it's just like setting a beautiful table and lighting the candles. Oh, please don't put the word just in front of that. Thank you. Like it's, that's so important. Like the, the um, one of the things that I've, I've learned uh, through Heather um, 
is like she's decorating the house for Christmas right now. Um, And I was a little bit of a a Grinch last night. Like I was I was putting on my grown up outfit and pretending my my best grown up uh, (laughs) efforts. But I really wanted to pout and sulk and um, eat eat too many chocolate covered cherries. Uh-huh. Uh, right. I was tired. I was done. Um, and like the, the love of setting the table, like metaphorically and, mm-hmm. um, that her and one of our children like really engaged in, it was so uh, not for anybody else's enjoyment. It wasn't for show. It wasn't for a magazine. It was, it was just for our family. Yeah. Right. And so like, um, I'm aware today, like when you said, like, even just setting like candles, like, I think, I think setting the table, like metaphorically, yep. um, and like, just loving your neighbor is about setting a table. That's like, right. th- that fixes the world. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and our world right now is going to be fixed in this small, yeah, being faithful uh, to the small, it's not going to be the big, and it's going to be moments where we choose life and choose beauty, but in order to experience beauty in life, we must grieve. We must understand what is holding us back because you cannot feel joy and then not also open yourself up to grief. So to the degree that you're willing to feel the pain will also be to the degree that you're able to feel the joy. So if you're, if you're shut off to pain and heartache, you will, you can try to experience joy, but it will be, it'll be empty. Um, and, and so again, like we have to be able to tolerate and move ourselves into the the grief and the heartache in order for us to also be able to be people who can, can dance and laugh and play. Um, but they're, they're, they're connected. Even just put our head down on the pillow at night and sleep well. Oh my gosh. Lord have mercy. Wouldn't that that change the world? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just get a few good hours of non-anxious sleep would be nice. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> Kathy, if someone um, wants to find out more, engage more in what you're doing, like how do, how do people find out more about you? So uh, Redeeming Heartache is on, um, you know, all the places that you buy books and, and you can buy that there. Um, if you want to find more about me, um, Kathy.Lorzell is where you can follow me on Instagram. Um, and How do you spell Lorzell? Thank you. L-O-E-R-Z-E-L. Um, yeah. And so is that I, Italian? It's German. German. Yeah. Huh. There should be an umlaut in German? there. I know. Uh, in the background. That's right. Yeah. Lozell. Lutzel. Yep. Lutzel. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Allender and then Center. you can find out allendercenter.org and all of our programs. Um, and then we're doing a Redeeming Heartache book tour. Um, I'll be in Nashville. Um, and then we're doing Chicago and Houston and all these different places. So you can find oh, out all great. about where we're going to be. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for, be- for being here today. It was yeah, a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Sage Hill, a social impact organization. Our mission is to help people be who they're made to be so that they can do what they're made to do. Find more resources to live fully, love deeply, and lead well at sagehillresources.com.